0: Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Tim continues in the sermon series called Psalms of Summer as he speaks from Psalm 119 about what it looks like to live and follow God and be His disciple. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. We are aware that there are some audio issues in this episode, and we appreciate your understanding.
1: Good to see you this morning. We've got the curtain closed. I feel like I'm on a pirate ship and getting ready to walk the plank. It's like it's like, uh, I've got to watch my step when I walk around. But, uh, man, it's great to be here. Uh, it's, great. it's an honor. I always tell you, it's an honor that Brad... Uh, asked me to do this because <clears throat> he cherishes this this church is built off of the importance of what's done from the pulpit teaching of the word of God and so for him to, uh, to say Tim would you would you preach this Sunday for me to me it's a great honor and I take it seriously and I pray you know months and and weeks and and to the last days and and I don't fast too well you can tell. I, I try to fast, but I, I don't fast too well. I, I like food too much, so but I pray. I do a prayer. I pray, I pray. Um, but uh, I hear some squeaking. some back up behind the speaker. But uh, but yeah. So Brad, you know, he does such a great job, and it is kind of intimidating to to come into this pulpit after Brad, is so powerful. I, I think of him as like the Tom Brady of the quarterbacks, right? You know, he's our quarterback, and and he leads. He's got the, the most championships, and he's you know, I'm the Wildcat, all right? So I'm just going to get it out there. I'm the Wildcat. But, hey, I don't know if you, if you watch football, and we are a sports-thinking sports kind of church. If you like football, I mean, I'm watching Tom Brady. Okay, he's going to throw another touchdown in. And all of a sudden, they say, "Oh, they're bringing in the other quarterback. It's going to Wildcat. I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch this, because, you know, Wildcats, who can? Who knows what's going to happen? You know, to bring in a Cam Newton to come in and do some kind of run play or trick play. Uh, so guess what? This morning you didn't get Tom Brady. This morning you got the Wildcat. <laughs> but you know every church needs to have a Wildcat, right? So I'm excited to be here. Uh, and you know what? Satan's this morning going, man, we put the playbook together for Brad. Who's this guy? And how what we got? What we got? And he's getting the scouts out and the scouts saying, can you hear me? He's just the Wildcat. Um, but yeah, so so Brad and I were talking about. Which, you know, what, what would he like for me to preach about? We're doing Psalms of Summer. And sir Brad and I were just talking. And sir Brad said, Hey, Tim, I got a good idea. So, what's that? <laughs> Psalms 119. <laughs> Psalms 119? You sure? You said, Psalms 19. No, 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 Psalms 119. Okay, let's see. 176 verses in Psalms 119. <laughs> it's like the, the Mount Everest of Psalms 19 of the Bible is. The, the largest chapter, uh, it is longer than some of the books of the Bible. I said, okay, so uh, Psalms one nineteen. That's a that's a big mountain to climb. So, uh, but yeah, so Psalms one nineteen. And obviously, I would not uh, do the whole Bible. I, I actually, uh, you know, I, I tell you, I get my Bible app out a lot of times, and and uh, I like to play the Bible while I do things around the house or while I'm driving. A lot of times, I'll just play the Bible app. So I did it this week. I tested it. I played Psalms 119, and it took the Bible app 17 minutes and 21 seconds to read the whole chapter. So I read the whole chapter for you this morning because I know that uh, most of you are probably like, but uh, it does, Psalms 119 is talking about God's word, and there's many words used in Psalms 119 about God's word. Um, It's 176 verses. Uh, it has 22 stanzas uh, with eight verses in each stanza. So it's taken the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew, Hebrew alphabet. Some of you, if you look at your Bibles, you can look at it, and you can see that it's broken down into eight verses each section, uh, and each section will start with a Hebrew letter. And so it goes through. Uh, Psalm 119 goes through uh, 22 stanzas. Each stanza has eight verses. Uh, and a lot of people... I would say it was really built to be sung as a hymn book, you know, as a hymn song. And so I had flashbacks. The thing about singing Psalms 119, you know, Psalms 119. Uh, I grew up in one of the uh, small Methodist churches that had different song leaders every now and then. And and um, we had the hymn books. It had four verses or four four stanzas in it. You'd have different, different song leaders would do different things. I don't know where Tony is right now, but uh, you would have... Uh, he bring it out, and we're gonna. Oh, he's over there. Are we gonna switch up? Hello, there we go. Sorry, it was kind of throwing me off. I'll, I'll confess. I'm like, man. So see, that's what happens when you got the wildcat. The wildcat throws the defense off. So we're just that's all we're doing. We're just doing the defense off. Satan and his demons are scattered around trying to find a playbook for this. Um, but yeah, so Psalms 118, so it, it was written as a, as a, like a hymn. And so I was grew up in some of the small, you know, Methodist churches, and, and some would open up the hymn book, and you love the song leader that says, let's sing the first and last stanzas of this song and the, with the chorus. But then you get the ones that say, like, Oh, this has got six stanzas, and we're going to sing all six of them. We're going to sing them through and sing the chorus and sing all six stanzas. Can you imagine the church that says, we're going to sing all 22 stanzas of these uh, verses, and it's going to take us an, an hour and a half to get through this uh, Psalms 118 as we sing it. But obviously, it's, it's cherishing God's word. It's God's word. It's powerful. powerful. And it's life-changing, and it is something, and songs is something that should be sung. We should take it out and memorize it and sing it, and we should have it as part of our life. Um, interesting thing about part of the life that we have in our, our day and time is when you travel, right? Some people probably saw what I brought out. Some people don't even know what it is. But when you travel now, you, everybody travels with this, right? You got your phone. You put in it, take me to Kalamazoo. You know, and it'll get you the directions to where you want to go. There was a day, there was a day that cell phones did not exist. Uh, There was a day that there was not GPS, right? I'm 50 years old, so I can talk about those days. There was a day when you got in your car to travel somewhere and you had to pull out one of these. How many people know one of these? There we go. We got people in the house See, now I got my hands tied. But uh, so this is. All right, young people, tell me how you're going to travel with this. Yeah, see? So you're like, how am I supposed to hold the steering wheel and hold this at the same time? Well, you know, it's it's called planning ahead. You know, you get your trip planned out. You know where you want to go. But this is a map for those who don't know what this is. It's a map that helps you get from one place to another. And it actually gives you the details of how to go. I will not take the time to fold that back up. I will get a young person to see if they can fold that back up. Now, for those who have like a camper and they like to travel the country, then you can bring out the road atlas. Right? You got the road atlas. And so you pull it open, you open it up, and you say, oh, wow, yeah. Um, let's see. Where we we go to? Uh, we got lots of places to go. I mean, all across the country. I was actually looking. There's maps of Europe. Now, that's really confusing because I've never been to Europe. But I was just thinking, wow, there's a lot of places in Europe that you could go visit. Um, so this, and I was thinking as I was going through this, um, I was looking at... All right, so if somebody wanted to uh, take a trip, actually let's flip through. Let's open up Saskatchewan. And if I was going to take one of you young people, and even myself, and I was going to take you to uh, Saskatoon, I don't even know where this place is. How would you get there, right? How would you go? <laughs> yeah. Um, but you got all these different places, all these different roads, all these different destinations. And so when we were, well, for GPS, before phones, we'd have to get out, uh, get out, plan a trip. You know, I remember my dad writing a, a little, like a little grocery list, you know, how many miles we're going to be on this road, look for this exit. How many miles are going to be on this road, look for this exit. How many miles on this road, look for this exit. And so we would know how we get to our destination before we even left the house. You know, and my dad was good and detailed. And so when we we were driving down the road, we knew what we were looking for. We knew the exit we needed to take in order to get to the the turn. Well, imagine not having GPS. How many of us here could find Kalamazoo? Maybe somebody who's been there, somebody who's been there could find it. Um, but I couldn't. But how many people? Imagine not having maps or atlases. Now think about this. If you don't have maps or atlases that have the, all the roads listed out, and if you're taking a trip to Kalamazoo, how would you get there? Imagine, let's, let's take this a little step further. Imagine if you go down the road and somebody's taken down all the road signs, there's no green signs on the highways. There's no little green signs on each of the roads. Every road is unlabeled. There's nothing. You go down the roads and there's no signs anywhere. How are you going to get anywhere? How are you even going to find a little small town in Montana that you've never been to? Right? But you know, many of us are living lives spiritually without taking time to study the map. We're living our lives without charting our destination and looking into the details. Many of us are living our lives, not checking with the GPS or the Holy Spirit and asking for God to direct our path. Many of us are just driving down the roads with no signs and no sense of direction. We're just driving spiritually. And then we wonder why life gets confusing and things just turn, turn out right. And that's what it is. God has given us His Word. And His Word is a loving Father writing out on a map the directions that He wants us to go. He's labeled out every sign that we need to look for and every turn that we need to make. And we have destinations we're all going towards. You know, some are vacation destinations, and we can't wait to get there um, because. It's going to be fun when we get to that destination, that beach or Disney or where, and we want to get there, right? Oh, you, and I remember as a kid, you know, you know sometimes we write it out and sometimes these things don't work out, but there's nothing more frustrating than we're going to Disney. As soon as we get there, we get, get ride the rides and suddenly you make a wrong turn and you get lost. Has anybody made a wrong turn and gotten lost? I have. All of a sudden it takes you an hour to get there, and all you're thinking about, I've lost an hour of ride time at Disney because I got lost. It happens, and so uh, life gets confused. But God has given us in His Word; He's given us the the details of the roads and the destinations. But there's some destinations that are way more important than Disney, and more, way more important than vacation. As a matter of fact, I'm glad the Holy Spirit. Thank you, the Holy Spirit just reminded me. And see, I'm preaching this not by myself. I got the Holy Spirit to kind of help guide me. We've been walking and talking, and that's normally why what I share when I preach is just how the Holy Spirit and I, we read the Word, and we walk together through life. And I encourage you to do this. Read the Word, walk through life daily with the Word in your hand and in your mind. But vacation, when I thought of vacation, I thought of my, my anniversary is tomorrow with my wife. Is my wife in here? She might not be in here. She may be working somewhere. 24 years, so tomorrow is my anniversary with my wife, and we're headed on a vacation after we leave here today, so kids have already gone ahead with uh, their grandmother, but I want to wish my wife a happy anniversary, 24 years, it's amazing, uh, God does some great things in my life, he's given me the map, and I study his word, but man, when he gave me a, a, a partner, a companion that was fit for me, which he does in Genesis chapter two, he, he, uh, he, in Genesis, he, he saw Adam, it was chapter 2, he saw Adam, and it was not good that Adam was alone. And I'm glad that he looked at me and said, Tim, I look at you, and you, you, you need some help. <laughs> it's not good for you to be alone. So, I, so I celebrate, when I celebrate anniversary, I celebrate God looking at me and having mercy on me and bringing me the right wife, the perfect wife. She doesn't have the same testimony that I have. Uh, I, <laughs> sometimes I'm not the perfect husband. Uh, I struggle, but she has grace, and and we do. We life is not easy, right? Life's hard. Let's just be honest. It's challenging. Uh, we take a lot of ro- wrong turns, and my wife is really good about helping me understand where I make the wrong turns. But she always helps me redirect, redirect, and get me in the right direction. But uh, so as we look into God's word. And God wants us to reach the right destination. We all want to get to the right destination. Um, but sometimes we got we got to focus. we got to get into the Word because, yeah, sometimes, especially Sunday afternoon drives, it's just, hey, let's just get down on the road and let's just drive. But even if you're on a Sunday afternoon drive, you never want to end up in a spot where you don't know where you're at and you don't know how to get home. And so it's important for us to always take God's Word with us So, in looking at Psalms uh, 119, I just start reading with the first eight verses. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed. When I look into all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. So I'm just going to start with the first eight verses because uh, I really just uh, as I I was reading through this and as I was meditating and as I was thinking um, that first verse: Blessed are the undefiled in the way. So blessed is happier those happier those who are undefiled in the way. I love Psalms 1. is one of my favorite chapters. You also see in that Psalms, uh, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, but who delights in the Word of God and meditates on it. It's like a tree that's planted by the river's water. Psalms 1 is beautiful. Blessed. And God wants to bless us. God wants to uh, fill our lives with joy and excitement, and, and he wants our destination to be an exciting destination. But I was just thinking about that word undefiled. Now, some of your versions um, may say blameless. So blameless is good. But I I was just thinking about the undefiled. Undefiled is like uh, just untainted, nothing mixed in with it. And it got me thinking about um, another word that's similar to that. uh, In Exodus chapter 12, talking about unleavened. Uh, Exodus chapter 12 we see for I will. This is God instituted the Passover. Um, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be on this, be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast for an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses." For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And so I was thinking about God's Word. When we read God's Word, God sets a high expectation. Sometimes I think as, as Christians, as believers, we forget that. Because we, we live in the moment of grace. And it's great to have God's grace. But let's never forget that God sets... A high expectation, and I thought about uh, when he sent out this Passover for the for the Israelites. They had seen God move in Egypt. They had seen the plagues. Can you imagine the intensity of seeing the plagues that God placed upon Egypt, and being an Israelite watching God's power on display? And so, when God gives His word, like we do see in Psalms one nineteen, when God gives His instruction. the Israelites you better believe I'm getting my map out my atlas out my paper out and God says when I see the blood on the doorpost when the death angel comes over your house he will pass over your house because he sees the blood on the doorpost and I expect a blameless uh, a spotless lamb to be the sacrifice and also I want to to remove the leaven from your house, so God has given them instructions, high expectations. Now life and death is on the line, right? And when we think about death, that brings seriousness to the to the moment. This past week I, I went to two, uh, uh, two uh, celebration of lives uh, for two families who have lost a loved one and and uh, and I think about these two people that have passed, you know, I think about Anne. We went to her uh, celebration of life, and and uh, as I think about Anne, I think about going to her house, especially during Christmas time. It's it's uh, my um, my mother in law's uh, sister in law, uh, so it's we go there every Christmas. And as I am at this uh, this celebration of life, I'm thinking about you know I'm going to her house in Christmas. And she's not going to be sitting in that chair. I can't sit down beside her and talk to her. Death has an impact, right? And then Kevin. I've, Kevin has passed. And Kevin and I enjoyed talking to. We talked a lot about different things and, and about struggles and about life. And I really enjoy talking with him. And now I know I can't go and visit. Can't go talk and have that conversation. So death has a way of making things real, right? So the Israelites in this moment, when God says, I'm about to send a death angel over all the land of Egypt. And all the firstborn of every house is going to die. That brings an intense moment of the seriousness of what God is about to instruct them to do. And so if I'm an Israelite and I've seen the intensity of his plagues and I know how powerful God is, and God has given me this instruction, then I'm saying, give me a notepad and tell me what you want me to do. And I won't find the perfect spotless lamb to sacrifice. I'm going to take that blood and I'm going to make sure I put it exactly like you tell me how to put it. And I'm, you, you don't want any leaven in my house? I'm going to take the leaven out of the house because I do not want to be cut off from the Lord. So when God sets a high expectation, we still need to take heed to what he tells us. And so as they came through, I, I can imagine what the intense moment was when the Egyptians start wailing and weeping and crying because of the firstborn that have been, uh, been killed because of God's judgment. An intense moment. So we, we know God has set expectations. And as humans, we know that it's important to listen. But there are some times that we really need to be reminded that God has set high expectations and we need to, to, to be focused in on what he is telling us. Um, I was just thinking about how we get into these moments where it, it's okay, you know, it's, it's just okay. And I, and I saw these AT&T commercials, you might be able to remember, when just okay is not okay or okay is just not okay. But anyway, it's uh, it's the same when the guy's getting ready to go back into surgery and uh, he asks the nurse, hey, have you dealt with this doctor before? And she says, oh yeah, he's okay. And the guy's looking, he's getting ready to go into surgery and, and he's like, what? He's just okay. That's not okay. You know, and all of a sudden the doctor's coming in. He said, hey, I got reinstated. Well, actually not really, but hopefully by the end of the day, I'll be reinstated. Um, you know, we have, we have our high expectations, right? When, when we're getting ready to go into surgery, we expect a lot from our doctor. We want him to know what he's doing. We want him to know the difference between a kidney and a heart when he starts operating on our heart. You know, and then as parents in this room. When it's our child that's being operated on, we are doing a full FBI investigation on the doctor to make sure he knows what he's doing, he knows what, how to do with this surgery, and that he's done these things before. So we have high expectations when it's a priority in our life, right? So that's what I want to make sure we see, that, that when God speaks his word, when he gives his instruction, when he tells us the decrees, that we don't just live in a time where we feel like, it's grace I'm living in grace I know I sin I I, I sin all the time but God's grace is great and he'll forgive me he'll just keep forgiving me I know he will forgive me you know but if you're a child of God and you've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ then you should know God's Word is precious and yeah I fail But I still need to listen and follow with my whole heart after God. How serious is God? I thought about this uh, uh, when I ever think about the seriousness of God and how sometimes we play around with sin and we think it's okay. Uh, God will forgive. It will be all right. Achan thought that too, right? Achan, when they went into the land of Israel, Joshua was leading the armies and Joshua gave instructions to Israel, the army. We're going to go into Jericho and the instructions and details is we go in, we don't touch anything. We don't take any spoils, don't touch anything, leave it all for God. The whole Jericho is for God and we'll go in, we'll conquer with God's power, we'll be victorious. We're going to save Rahab and her family. We're going to take them out because they sought after God and they're going to be saved and we're going to take them out. But everything else is for destruction. Not even a piece of cloth. Don't, t- don't take anything. Well, Achan didn't listen to that instruction. What, it's a piece of gold. It's a cloth. What, what's the big deal? Look at this big old huge city. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? God's going to know. In Joshua chapter 7, Israel had sinned and they also had transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. Well, they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. So basically, Joshua led that victory over Jericho. They have victory. They were excited because they conquered a humongous city of Jericho. Then they go off to a little bitty small town of Ai, not even half the size, thinking, whew, we took out Jericho. What are these little guys going to do to us? But they went to Ai, and because of sin, they lost. They got defeated. They got the the butts kicked, handed to them, and they got run away. People died. And the the world's happening. So God said to Joshua, Israel has sinned, and they have transgressed. They've taken some of the stuff that was accursed, they put it with their own stuff, and they've hidden it. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. So God has expectations. He gives us his word. He gives us direction. And in this situation, God was serious about when he told Joshua and the Israelites what they should do. And Achan disobeyed that. And there was a consequence. They had to take care of that before they could take their next battle. And for Achan and his family, that meant death. So does God have high expectations? Yes. God has high expectations for us. Now, how many of us in this room feel like we're undefiled or blameless? None would in this room would ever say we're sinless, but we are not anywhere close To be an undefiled as we look at blessed are the undefiled in the way matter of fact Romans tells us exactly what we are what then are we better than they not at all for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin as it is written guys this is all of us in this room there is none righteous no not one there is none who understands there is none who seeks after God They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb with tongues that have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, this kind of gets back into the law, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the, his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, what happens when we take the perfect law and the high expectation of God and bring it to a sinful man? That are none righteous, no, not one. One thing it should humble us. The law was never intended to save us, but it was intended to show us where we are at. So, if you get this map out and you want to say, "Where am I at?" The law was supposed to be like the map and says, "There's where I'm at. I'm a sinner." In need of a savior the law was intended to reveal to us sin sin in our life and it says in scripture there was no sin before there was law well there was no understanding of sin before there was law because in Psalms 51 we see David uh, uh, David says when I was born I was born a sinner from the day I was conceived so the law is the revealer of where we're at So as we look at the map and we see where we're at, we should be humbled in the presence of a mighty God, a powerful God. And we should be in awe of his word and the expectations that he set up. And we should be humbled to realize, who are we? That he, Romans 5.8, should send his one and only son to come and die on a cross while we were still sinners, lost, confused, Who knows where? We couldn't even find ourselves on a map, but Christ came after us, and so as we go through, I got a couple myths that I want to address, a couple dangers, and then I'm going to get into the life of Nicodemus at the end, Um, and I promise not to keep us much past two o'clock, all right? (laughs) No, Um, but as we look at the law and as we think about the, the law, there are some myths that I want to make sure we address, and one is people who read the word. They say, "If I follow the rules, we will have smooth roads." So let it. I know some people who, I mean, love Jesus Christ. They love the Word of God, and they say, "Hey, as long as I follow the rules, I will have smooth roads." Well, let's ask Joseph about that. If we look at the life of Joseph, we see that his brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and sent to jail. Forgotten in jail, yet stayed faithful. And finally, he was called before Pharaoh and placed where God had planned for him to be to save his family. So we look at that myth, and sometimes we... Blessed are those who are undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. And I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I want to be blessed by God. But I think it's a myth for us to think as believers that being blessed by God is saying, all right, God, I'm going to study this word intently. I want to know what it says, and if I study it, he promised to bless me. Happy are those who are undefiled. happier are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. I'm right here with you. I want to be blessed. But we need to understand what does it mean to be blessed. And myth number one is blessed does not mean that you will have a smooth road in life. God may have a different destination for you. And we, I want us to understand that the road that we have in front of us, if we're following God, is the road that God wants us to be on. And he knows the destination he wants to be at. And that road will not be smooth. And it's okay. It's okay for us to live a life where we have to go through trials and tribulations. Just Looking at Joseph's life, if we looked at the beginning of it without seeing the end of it, We'd say, well, Joseph wasn't blessed at all. Yeah, I mean, he he had dreams. God was speaking to him. He was excited about following God. Yet his own brothers hated him, wanted to kill him. And he kept doing the right thing, right? Joseph kept doing the right thing. As you read the story, Joseph kept doing the right thing. And yet, every time he kept doing the right thing, he seemed like he had a, a negative consequence. I mean... Potiphar's wife, all the men in the room. You're working for Potiphar. You're doing a great job. Potiphar has a gorgeous supermodel wife, like Tom Brady, supermodel wife, and she keeps coming and saying, "Man, you're pretty handsome, Joseph. You, you look strong. Man. You know," and kept complimenting you. Those guys were like, "Ooh, she thinks I'm, I'm strong or whatever, you know." It feeds into the ego. And he said, no, no, no. Pharaoh has trusted me, Potiphar has trusted me with his whole house, everything. You keep your distance over there, I'm over here. He keeps making the right choices. And yet one day she traps him. She takes his coat as he runs. Now, this, guys, this is the way we should live our life. When Satan comes in with temptation, especially any kind of sexual temptation, we should run. And Potiphar, I mean, uh, Joseph did that. Joseph did what he knew he was supposed to do. Temptation came. The enemy came to trap him. And he just ran. He ran out the door. She grabbed his coat as she, he was running out the door. But he stayed pure. He did what God told him to do. And yet, she said, Potiphar, this, this Israelite slave that you brought into our house Look what he's done to me. He attacked me. And Potter said, Well, Joseph, you can't do that. You got to go to jail. Really? He was doing what he was supposed to do. He was living right and he made the right decision at the right time to flee the temptation. He didn't indulge in the temptation. He was a man. He fled the temptation. And what does that get him? Jail time. So we see that as we go through joseph's life he stayed faithful god stayed with him so it does we get into job in a minute here just because life is hard does not mean that god is not with you life can be hard and god could be saying i'm right here with you let's walk this together and let's take this journey because there's a destination that i need you to be at and that's what life of joseph tells us god had a plan and i'm sure joseph one day when he got to heaven says Really, God, that was that was the blessed direction to get me to the destination. You couldn't have picked a different route that get me to to Pharaoh's uh, palace and to be right next to Pharaoh to take care of the family. You, you, there was no other routes. You know, God, you couldn't. God's like, look, your route has encouragement to a lot of people who follow after you. Um, so Joseph took the route that God took him on. He got to the destination, God wanted him at Pharaoh's palace, he wanted him to be in charge of the food, and he wanted him to save his brothers, his dad, and the nation of Israel. And they all came down and they got the food. And Joseph's heart, Genesis chapter 50, then his brothers also went down, this is as they come, to, come down to realize who he is, uh, Joseph's brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And and he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph got it right. He figured it out. And that's one thing I want to make sure we all in this room get it. That, you know what? God has destinations for us. And it's not always going to be a smooth road. And if it's rough, if it's rocky, if we get falsely accused, if we get put in jail, if we lose everything, it's okay if we got God, we got everything that we need. So that leads my, to my second myth that I want to say is, if, if I, blessed are those who are undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Second myth is, if I follow God's rules, his laws, his decrees, I will be protected by God from the enemy's attack. I will have God's protection, and the enemy can't touch me. And I'll be prosperous, I'll be successful, I'll be happy, I'll be super happy. And that's another that part of this myth: is is, uh, is God is not so much concerned about our happiness as He is our holiness. We are concerned greatly about our happiness, and so we want to be happy. And we're trying to God, I can be happy and holy at the same time. I'll try. Come on, let's try it out. But God sometimes sees, He realizes sometimes in our happiness we get complacent, we get comfortable, and we don't always do His will. So. Let's ask Job, Job about how following after God with all your heart, doing God's will, does that, how does that feel? When we look at the life of Job, he lost his children, he lost his possessions, he lost his health. And the question I had is, why did he lose all these things? Job chapter 1 Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan also came among them. Chapter 1, verse 7. And the Lord said to Satan, from where did you come from? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth in it. And the Lord God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions, and you have cleansed and increased his land. By now, But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your power only, do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, the thing I want to look at here, as we look at this myth, if I follow God, listen to His rules, and obey Him, I will be protected, and I'll be safe, and I'll be I'll be okay. But look at this this one verse to just meditate on this. Verse eight. Then the Lord said to Satan, so guess what? The Lord brought this conversation up. He initiated this. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So even God testifies to the fact that Job is blameless, he's upright, and he fears God. And many of us in this room, and I'd be included, that if I'm blameless, if I'm upright, and I fear God, and God knows these things, that God's going to put a hedge around me, and I'll be okay. But we see in this situation that God reveals to us that there are great plans that God has for all of us in this room. And some of those plans are going to be difficult. They're going to be hard. I can't imagine anything more difficult than what Job had to face, losing of children, to me that was that's where I'd be done to lose children to lose possessions to lose health these are things that are monuments in our life that if these things are going in the wrong direction and we're hurting and aching and and painful man what's happened I was doing right so the myth is is just because you lose things just because you're on a a road that's challenging, difficult, and you, you lose a child, you lose possessions, you lose your health, you get that diagnosis, that does not mean that God has forsaken you. It may mean that God is looking down and he's telling Satan, have you considered my servant? And yes, I know they are faithful and they're going to serve me, and Satan, you have limited ability to touch their life but you can touch their life you can touch their children their wealth their health what if god chooses to do that in your life are you able to trust god trust god that okay he sees that i'm fearful of him i'm upright and i'm blameless and that he's got a plan he's trying to reveal something Am I able to trust God in those moments? It's not easy moments. This is not an easy moment for, for Job. And I'm sure Job got to heaven and said, God, really? You picked me? You should have picked my wife. <laughs> but, uh, but these are the things I want to, as God speaks his word, as he gives us his instructions, and God has a plan for our life, we trust his plan. And I'll I tell you, I, I think about this a lot, and I meditate on this a lot. I love the story of Job. I love to see that, okay, even when I'm going through suffering, I can trust that God has a plan for my suffering, and that he's going to use it for his good. He's got, he knows more than I know, and I, just, I can trust God. Even in my suffering, I can, I can go through this if it means that somebody gets to see Jesus Christ, and they can, get, they can be saved. And I think about that. If my suffering leads to somebody else's salvation and they see God in a new and different way, okay, I'm willing to do that. But I'd be first in line to say, God, I don't want to be Job. I don't want to be Job. I mean, I'm selfish, but I'm honest. Nobody here wants to be Job. We love the story of Job. We love to read the story of Job. And we love Job's faithfulness because Job did not curse God. And... uh and we want to be that one that that God looks at and says, man, I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased with you. You know, that. I mean, you're living a life that I'm pleased with. We all want to hear that, right? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into heaven and to know that God is pleased with us. But to think about if God is pleased with you and you are living right, he could choose to take a hedge of protection away and let Satan test you in a certain way to bring God glory through your suffering. So as we read God's words and he says blessed and happy. So how are, these are happy people, right? Joseph and Job are happy people. But they didn't ha- have easy lives. So if we can leave here today and say, you know what? My life doesn't have to be easy for me to be happy. I can choose to be happy in all circumstances. I can make that choice. And as hard as it might be, I can still make a choice. Trust God when things are not right. When things don't seem right to me, I know that he's got a plan that is way bigger than what my plan is. So we're going through two myths. uh, get getting into a couple a of couple dangers, and um, we'll get into one last point. A couple of dangers, if we follow the rules, then we can be be caught in a trap. Uh, Totally focused on the rules leads to living like a Pharisee. And we know Jesus did not like the Pharisees very well. One of the things that Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So the Pharisees love to search the scriptures, and this is one of the dangers. I want to make sure we—I I point at my own life because I love the Bible. You know, I, I love reading the Bible. You can ask my wife. I got probably ten or twelve on the the bookshelf. I like different versions and reading it and studying it. And the Pharisees—we we think of them as bad people because we know Jesus had a lot to say against the Pharisees. But let's not forget the Pharisees were had. Started with good intention, I think. They read and studied the Word in detail, and they intended to keep the Word. They, they focused on being the undefiled. But if, it's, if it's in there, we're going to be serious, and we're going to take it out. We're not going to have anything in our life. And they had the, the Ten Commandments, and then they created hundreds more rules to help them to not break the Ten Commandments. But yet, Jesus Christ focuses on they missed it. The Pharisees missed it. They focused so much on studying the law of the Lord, they missed the Messiah. That's a powerful moment, and that's something that we all have to be cautious of. We can be so focused on studying the Word of God and what God says, that when Jesus is coming face-to-face with us, we miss the Messiah. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. Listen, I like that verse. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. This is Jesus talking. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. The Pharisees were looking for a Messiah. They knew every detail about what the Messiah should look like. But when Jesus showed up, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. The biggest point, and I won't go into details. I can We can get into another sermon. They didn't want to give up control. How many in this room, we know what the Bible says, but we just, I don't want to give up control of my life. And sometimes that's where God gets us. We have to give up control and surrender to God. And the Pharisees were comfortable. They knew the rules. They studied this atlas. They, they didn't even need to bring the map out because they, in their minds, they knew every road and where every road took it. They knew every destination. And they knew how many, how many miles it would take to get to every city. They knew it in detail. But they got so comfortable in the rules that they didn't want to surrender life to the Messiah. So we look at uh, another uh, point where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees about this. Now it happened in Mark chapter 2. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath, they're so focused on the law and on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, of, need and hungry? And he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar and the high, the high priest, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave to some to those who were with him. And he said to them, I like this verse, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees studied the rules so much that they put the law ahead of the person. And I like what Jesus tries to to get things back in order. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In a sense, the Pharisees made the law their own God and not God himself. So another danger, totally focused on the rules leads to misplaced judgment. Uh, Looking back at Job's life, Eliphaz confronts Job and says, Job, you're reaping what you have sown. Again, if we get so focused on the rules, we can get caught up in looking at the rules and not looking at the person. We can have misplaced judgment. Job chapter 4, remember now, this is Eliphaz, Eliphaz, remember now, whoever perished, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God, they perish, and, they, and by the breath of this anger, they are consumed. So they, they got caught up in uh, Eliphaz, Job's friend. said, Job, you're going through such a hard time. You had to have sinned. You had to have sinned. They got caught up in the danger of looking at the rules, looking at the law, and saying, you know what? There's the law of sowing and reaping. And Job, what you're reaping, you had to have sown something in your past. And so one of the things I want us to guard about as we study the Scriptures, be cautious of using God's Word against another person, saying that you know better about what their life is going through. Because you don't know who's Job in your life. And it is not right for us to go to that person. I would say go to them and encourage them, love on them, and seek God's face. But be careful to say, hey, you're in sin. And it's because of your sin that you're going through the pain that you're going through. So you need to examine your life and get that corrected for God to bless you again. Because that's getting into the, the, the myth that because if you're blessed by God, Life's going to go right. And so one of the dangers we got to be cautious of as believers is using God's Word as a weapon against another believer or against the unsaved especially. So as I close up, uh, I just want to take a look at uh, how it really, a a beautiful picture, I think, of how it works. I love the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus really shows us a lot, and I think he shows us uh, the law, because Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a he was a a ruler that studied the law. Nicodemus knew the word of God; he studied it intently, Uh, but we see that that didn't lead to his salvation. Matter of fact, uh, as we look at Nicodemus, I I like to start back at John chapter two, because there's something there that it could be a whole nother sermon. Uh, But John chapter two. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, Jesus we're talking about, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he had did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify man, for he knew what was in man. So there was a belief that people had in Jesus at this point. But he knew their heart. It wasn't fully surrendered to him. That leads us into looking at the life of Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Stop right there for a moment. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Now, he comes to Jesus by night for, for a reason. He's a Pharisee, and he knows what the other Pharisees are thinking. And there's a fear that has been set out that this Jesus is a bad man, and don't, nobody, nobody goes go see Jesus, especially if you're a leader in Israel. And so Nicodemus is curious, and we see why he's curious. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. So Nicodemus has a certain level of belief. Jesus, we know that there's something special about you. We know that you're doing something, and God is with you because you couldn't do what you're doing unless God was with you. So there was a certain part of that where he believed, I think goes back into that end of chapter 2. There's a certain belief that some people have that I believe that Jesus is a great man. I think he does miracles. I think Jesus is awesome, and he was a good man. But Jesus Christ was not satisfied with that. He didn't go, well, Nicodemus, well, thank you. I'm glad you noticed uh, all the hard work I've been doing around here, all the miracles. Thank you, Nicodemus. Ah, Come on, tell me some more stuff. Now, Jesus gets to the point. It's not good enough for us to know the law of God. It's not even good enough for us, like Nicodemus, to see that Jesus was a good man. Jesus Christ, in John chapter 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Jesus is trying to take him into the plan of salvation. He's trying to say, Hey, it's not enough that you know that I'm from God and that I'm doing miracles in the power of God. You need to know who I really am and you need to surrender to a new birth. So Jesus answered, and and you can see in verse 4, Nicodemus is kind of confused about this. He's still trying to figure it out. But uh, Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is a beautiful beautiful conversation that Jesus has that we all need to have with Jesus. We study the word, we study it, we know God's law, we know God God has great expectations and sometimes we realize man we're pretty good. we're pretty good because we can do a lot of these things that God has told us to do. We need to have that point. We all have to come face to face with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is going to look in our eyes and say, you know what? You think you know, you think you are okay, but let me tell you what it takes to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. You must take the things that you know through God's word, and he set up that he is a holy God that expects a lot. But you need to realize that your current man is a sinful man, none righteous, no, not one. As hard as you would try, Nicodemus, and as he talks to Nicodemus, as he talks to us, as hard as you try, Nicodemus, to get it all right and to see that things are happening, you've got to die. The old man has to die. That's why I love our baptisms. The old man has to die, go under the water, and be dead with Christ, because Christ's death is the, the blood that was shed to pay for our sin. And you had to come up out of the water as a wholly different person and walk in newness of life. So the, the law was never intended to give us salvation. It was pointed us into the direction of a Savior that would. The law was to show us how wretched we are, how sinful we are. And once we got to that point where we realized how sinful we are, then we had a Savior who came after us, like Nicodemus. And he speaks to every one of you in this room and says, Yeah, unless you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so the beautiful part about Nicodemus, as we look through his life, is if you go through uh, John chapter 7, we see the same Nicodemus, John chapter 7. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them went to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered and said, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him, but this crowd does not know what the law but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Now this is Nicodemus. Nicodemus has taken a stand. Well who can come to Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night being one of them, said to them, "Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? Then they answered and said to him, "Are you also from Galilee? Search and look for no prophet has given?" has arisen from galilee what i love about this is nicodemus is in front of all of them he says does our law judge a man before it hears him now here's what i i believe nicodemus is at he sees all the pharisees and all the division and nicodemus is like if they can see jesus face to face like i saw jesus face to face they can be changed they can be saved and so he's he's telling all of them all the Pharisees, "Hey." Does our law judge unless it hears him personally? So Nicodemus is taking a stand and trying to get them to listen to Jesus so they can hear and be saved. And in John chapter 19, uh, we're looking at Nicodemus in the end here. After this, this is after Jesus is crucified. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, this is Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. To me, this is a beautiful picture of a man who studied the Word of God and knew the Word of God, yet he missed it until he came face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And when he came face-to-face with Jesus Christ, he realized that The law was only to show him that he was a man that was in need of a Savior, and there he was, and he needed to be born again. So all of us here, cherish the Word of God. Seek the Word of God with all your heart. Search the Scriptures, but don't search the Scriptures without first taking Jesus Christ as your Savior, because then you will find yourself in a trap. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you so much. We praise you for all that you're doing in our life, God. We thank you for your word that tells us so much about where you want us to be and how you want us to live. And Father, more importantly, we thank you for the word of God that it points us to Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came to keep your holiness, because you did not uh, you did not alter the word so that we could get to heaven. Jesus Christ paid the complete debt to satisfy your holiness and to save us, your children. So we thank you so much for your plan and for how your plan saves us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody, if you close your eyes, let's all stand to our feet. Now's the time, if you're in this room, and and this is something where uh, so many people who grew up in this area, right? grow up in Christian schools, grow up in a Christian university, um, know the Word of God. could be like a Nicodemus. I know everything is know about the Bible and the Scripture, and I know I'm doing good, and I judge my life because of the things that are happening or not happening. Well, today I want you to, as you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, and as you think through your life, my urgent prayer for you is that Don't be like a Nicodemus that's captured by the law and trying to figure things out by the rules of God, but be the Nicodemus that comes to Jesus Christ. even at night, in the quietness right now in your heart and your mind, be the Nicodemus that comes to Jesus and say, you know what, I've I've been following the rules that I think will keep me safe. My life's a mess and I can't figure out why. But well, maybe it's because I need to come to Jesus Christ face to face. and realize that the rules were intended to reveal to me my need for a Savior. And that in God's grace and God's plan, the destination leads me to where I can see Jesus Christ and have Him to be my Savior. So if you're here today, eyes bow, eyes, heads bow, eyes closed, I um, just want you to think through that. Do you know Jesus Christ? as your personal Savior? Have you accepted Him into your life? And as He's your Savior, are you willing for Him to take you through life's journey, whether good or bad, ups or downs, tough, and willing to surrender your life to Him that He may use it to bring glory to God and to reach others that didn't know Jesus Christ as Savior? And it's easy to know Jesus Christ. He did the hard work by dying on a cross. It's easy, but yet it's hard for us to give up control of our life and say, God, here is my life. Take it, use it, for however you want. But I need Jesus Christ as my savior. And Jesus Christ, before we even knew we were sinners, while we were sinners, He came and He died on a cross to give us hope. Dear God, I just pray over the people here right now that you would just uh, help them to see you, hear your voice, and follow after you. Father, if there's someone here today that just is struggling uh, with the direction that they're going, first of all, let them know that Jesus Christ is their Savior. And if not, they can call out. He can be their Savior. And those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and are going through a tough time, a challenge, let them trust you as they walk through that, that path. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And, Pat, can we give Jesus a big round of applause for his word? And, man, just uh, thank you, Tim, for, a man, just a, a great reminder, a great start into Psalms 119. We'll be going deeper into Psalms 119 next week. Week after that will be Psalms 19. And then the week after that, Psalms 23. So that's what's ahead. So let's take this message. Let's meditate on it. Let's prepare to make an impact for Christ this week.
0: Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.